0: I really intended to go in a different direction, but I just cannot be freed by the Spirit uh, without finishing this series of sermons that I've been on, dealing with tears, and uh, I know several folks have been kind enough to comment about the way that they've been helped through all of it. I want you to turn to Psalm 126, Psalm 126, and we'll read this Psalm together, The 126th Psalm today and focus in especially on the last couple of verses. And while you're turning there, uh, just as a refresher so far, I dealt with tears defined, I just gave a definition of tears as far as a secular definition uh, and also a spiritual definition of tears from your Bible and how often the tears are mentioned. And then from that, we talked about not only the definition, but the description of tears throughout the word of God. And that brings us up uh, to what I wanna deal with today about tears and the importance of tears. This is a very happy time of year and that's why I'm so reluctant to try to deal Deal with this but I don't want you to fret by the time we get by the time we get to the end of this we'll see that the last verse of this comes to pass as well because what we do in tears now brings rejoicing later we may weep for the night but re- rejoicing is coming and joy is coming in the morning so we know we go through times of tears and sorrow and heartache the Callahan family uh, are going through that right now Brandon's mother uh, became very ill she'd had long Uh, term sickness, but they certainly didn't look for it to turn as bad as what she did physically so quickly. And now she's with the Lord, but the good news is we know she is with the Lord and was ready to meet the Lord and even have prayer with her family to give that assurance. In the end, Jesus makes the difference. It's the difference with everything. But yet, even though we rejoice at this time of year, we also know that sometimes we're torn between two. It's also a time of sorrow. A lot of you, this will be your first Christmas with loved ones already going on to be with the Lord. It'll be your first time to go through a Christmas when those that you love the most are now with the Lord and you're going to go through this time of year and wonder about all of these tears that you cry. Why don't they stop? Why do they continue? But yet I think God gives us some assurance here as we look at tears. And I want to look at the good thing about tears as we cry. If we're not careful, we'll forget that God sees all of that and knows all of that. And we need to know what God's going to do to help us through the difficult times of our life. Psalm 126, let's read together if you will. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Just just making sure you know he's done some things for us. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So now let's, let's just think a little bit about the fact that with all of these tears, God created us. You do believe that God created you, don't you? I know all of the new teaching and I know all of the new, uh, and let me, let me, just put this in bedrock right now. Don't you ever let them teach your children that evolution is a scientific fact. Evolution is a theory. It has always been a theory. Someone says, oh no, it's, it's not a theory. We can prove it. Can you really? Who was there? You weren't there when it happened. God did it all. He's responsible for all of it. So don't let them use terminology to try to make you think that something, see if they use the word science, suddenly we think they know what they're talking about. But I'll take the Bible over supposed science any day. And we know how God created all of it. God created the first man, God created the first woman. Adam and Eve were their names. And from that, all of the people that have ever existed can trace their genealogy back to Adam and Eve. And through that time when God made creation, he also made them with, uh, with certain things that whether we like it or don't like it, I realize we all look different, but still we're in the image of God. I realize we all feel differently about things, but still we're in the image of God. And one of the things that's characteristic about all of us, there's some things that it's just true with all of us. One thing is you're getting older. Quit acting like you're not getting older. I mean, you can put on skinny jeans and be 80, but uh, you just look like a chicken riding a bicycle. You're not changing what you are, you're getting older. Little girl climbed up on her grandpa's lap and looked at his skin on his hands and said, grandpa, and felt the wrinkles on his face, said, grandpa, what are those? And he said, well, honey, those are wrinkles. And she looked at her skin. She felt it and she said, I don't have any of those. And he said, no, you, you don't. And she said, Grandpa, I thought you told me that God created me. He did, honey. He said, she said, did God create you? Yes, he did. Said, he's doing a better job these days, isn't he? (laughs) You can't stop it, you're getting older. And another thing, I know everyone's not this way, but one of the things that's common among most of us is the fact that we do cry. Now, if God made us with the ability to cry, there must be a reason for that. Some say, well, there were no tears whatsoever before the curse, that may be, but still he had place within mankind, whether it be the cause of the curse that brought the tears out the first time, I don't know. All I know is that God put within us an ability to cry. Now, everyone I know doesn't have that ability, but it's a very, very small, portion of people that do not have the ability to cry and usually that's because of a physical problem. And yet, we have this ability to cry, so if God made us so that we could cry and God knows we're going to cry, why does God let us cry? I mean, there's coming a time last Sunday morning, I dealt with it, where God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, but why does he allow us to cry? Well, let me just put tears in three simple categories. You always love it in three, don't you? That means it's short. (laughs) At least we try to make you think that it's gonna be short. One thing I want you to think about this. Tears are salt. God seeks our tears. God watches for our tears. They that sow in tears shall reap Enjoy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, not only going forth and not only bearing precious seed, not only coming again and rejoicing, but he that goeth forth and weepeth. So God says, your tears are useful. One thing that that says to an unsaved world is even though that we know that we go forth and we weep, the weeping shows us that tears have a burden attached to it. And with that burden that's attached to our tears, the reason God allows that, it's not that he's wanting to punish us. It's because since we all do have this ability to cry, we ask ourselves questions, what type of things make us cry? And one of the things that move us as God's creation more than anything else, when we see people cry, it is when someone cries for us. You know why? That says they have compassion. They care. I think if there's one thing that is missing in the church world today, it is just genuine compassion, caring for people. Now, you'll find out in life, there'll be people that say they care, but they really don't care. A preacher was talking to another preacher one day, and he said, hey, I found out. Do you know what? The two greatest hindrances are to the church growing and seeing souls saved. The other preacher responded and said, I don't know and I don't care. He said, you're right on both of them. That's what it is. People don't know and they simply don't care. I don't, I, I don't know what you come from in life, but there's nothing like somebody that cares enough to weep for you. I know that the unsaved world is entrenched in their sin. But there's one thing that they can never, ever avoid, and that's genuine compassion. I say it a lot from this pulpit. The uh, the motto of D.L. Moody was this, if I can convince a person that I love them, I can win them to Jesus Christ. And when we show people that we really care, genuinely care, Now, you'll find out there'll be a lot of people that they're good at words. They'll tell you they care, but they really don't care. But if you care, it'll make you weep. I have always been moved by people in the medical field. There's two types of people in the medical field that I personally have dealt with. There's one group that is very cold and very calloused. It is just a job. They become burnt out. I'm not being judgmental. It happens to preachers too. They just, it's just a job. They put their time in. I watch them walk into rooms and hear them say to families that they've got a diagnosis that is a terminal diagnosis unless God intervenes with a miracle. And they just say it so flippant and so callous as though just get ready, you're gonna die. I gotta go see the next patient. And then there's others that when they, when they work with their patients, I have seen physicians, I have seen nurses hold patients by the hand, didn't say a word, but wept. I've seen physicians weep before they had to give the diagnosis, and I've watched the reaction of patients to both. And I've watched those patients as that doctor that weeps, that nurse that weeps as they hold their hand, they'll say, that's the best doctor anybody could ever have. That's the best nurse that anybody could ever have. And by the way, the best preacher anybody could ever have is somebody that cares for them. And I'm glad that in this church, we have a caring church. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not saying we are a perfect church. I'm saying we are a caring church. We care about others that hurt. We care about others that have hard times. We're not one of those groups that say, oh yeah, if you need me, just call me. No, they don't mean that at all. They don't wanna hear from you. Instead, our church doesn't say that. They just jump in and do it. And we may not be perfect, but at least we care and we try. And as we try to reach out to others, God will always bless us for caring. Tears have a burden attached to them but also tears have a blessing attached to them because if you go forth weeping, he doesn't leave it there. He says you will doubtless come again bringing your sheaves with you. You may weep for your wayward loved ones now, but I'm telling you, soon and very soon joy is coming because you'll turn around and see them give their life to the Lord and you'll see what's happening. You may be weeping even then, but it's tears of rejoicing instead of tears of sorrow. I hope Christy don't mind me sharing this. When uh, her mother-in-law was very sick and they were needing to, uh, to do a, a procedure and trying to work things out to see what they could do to help her. She had an underlying physical condition. The family had gathered together and, uh, and Christy had felt led just to reconfirm the fact that she was ready to meet the Lord. You always need to be ready with your loved ones, don't let them leave this world without telling you." And and she said her mother-in-law cried out to God and was just weeping and said they were all re- weeping and then all of a sudden she was praising God for the forgiveness of sin and rejoicing that the Lord had taken her sin away and then suddenly, someone from the family, pardon me, Christy, I can't remember who it was, someone said, it feels like it's raining here. That's the way it is. Sometimes when we see sinners come to these, see if you're lost this morning, the devil's gonna say nobody cares about you. No one's concerned about you. But then when people come and surrender their life to Christ and you see all of these people gathered around them and you hear a choice, a church that's rejoicing over the fact that they've given their life to the Lord. I'm telling you, the Lord cares and we care and rejoicing comes when we sow in tears. He not only, not only seeks our tears, tears are sought, but also tears are sacred. Why are they sacred? Because God sees our tears. We not only have a God that sees and hears, eyes to see, ears to hear, but he has a heart to care. He has pity and he has compassion. God is not a bully. God is compassionate toward people. And he's sensitive with our tears. Tears are sacred to God. And so that we know God sees our tears. You remember last week I talked about Hezekiah. God sees our tears. God reconfirms the fact that there's nothing you're going through in this life that he doesn't know about and that he doesn't doesn't just go on his way and not care about it. He does care about it. He cares about what you're going through. Matthew 10 says, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. Now see that verse is misquoted a lot. It doesn't say that he'll see them fall. I hear people say, not one will fall without God seeing. That's not what it says. It says, one shall not fall to the ground without your father. In other words, he's with that little bird. When it falls, he's with that little bird. And then he goes on to say, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I've heard people say, God counts the hairs from your head. And the truth of the matter is that's not what it says. Your hairs are numbered. That means when I brush my hair this morning, doesn't it look good? (laughs) I've got a great barber, her name's Candy. Thank you. But when I brush my hair and a hair falls out, God doesn't look at that hair and say, oh, that's a hair. God looks at that hair and says, that's 1,392. He knows every hair. Do you have every hair on your head numbered? God does. He knows every hair on your head. And he even knows the ones that used to be there. That's not there any longer. God has the very hairs on our head numbered. He said, fear you not therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. He's saying if God knows the numbers of the hairs on your head, and if God is with every sparrow that falls to the ground, why do you think that God is not with you when you're going through something? He is with you and he does care about you. So God, God not only seeks our tears, but God sees our tears. So tears are salt, tears are sacred. One other thing, tears are stored. God saves our tears. Now this is a custom that we're not used to. Last week, if you remember, I had you read that passage of scripture from uh, Psalm 56, eight with me. Thou tellest my wanderings; put thou my tears into thy bottle, are they not in thy book? This is a custom that we're not, we're not fully aware of. We don't, we don't have the custom of tear bottles. I have tear bottles down in our ministry office. I have a tear bottle from the wailing wall. When you visit Jerusalem, a lot of the Orthodox Jews, when they go to the Wailing Wall, that Western Wall, that's the only wall that's remaining of the old temple. And they go there and they're wailing because they wanna see the temple rebuilt. They, they're not able to offer sacrifice, so they're praying to God on their Sabbath day. And long before you ever, if you if you go through Zion's Gate and cross over the archway into that area where the old Western Wall is, the Wailing Wall as it is called, When you go to that particular area, if it's the Sabbath day, long before you get there, it's not uncommon that you'll hear them weeping before you ever get to that wall because to those Orthodox Jews, they haven't recognized Jesus as the Messiah and their means of forgiveness is the temple to be rebuilt and sanctified and sacrifices offered again. We know that he was the eternal sacrifice, but their mind is still blinded to all of that. So they're looking for the only hope of their full assurance of their salvation is to be able to offer sacrifice again. So they're wailing for that to be built once again. And when you're, when you're in a position like that, I understand that uh, on a small scale because we deal with a lot of churches that go through times that it's difficult for them where maybe the church burns down or I've dealt with churches that's going through hurricanes and tornadoes and other disasters. And suddenly one day, could you imagine if this building was just gone? We don't worship this building, but we thank God for this building. And for those of you that have had that terrible decision of having to leave one church and go to another church, you'll know one of the hardest things that you had to do was to get beyond the detachment of all the things that you saw happen in that other church because you may have been married there, your babies could have been dedicated to the Lord there, family members could have been saved there and you know you're in the will of God by leaving but yet your heart is broken because of the attachment that is there. That building has an attachment. Well, that's the way these Jews are. They're crying out to God, and it's not uncommon to see them with tear bottles as well. Tear bottles were used in the fact that, uh, that they would also use them in occasions where that, uh, they would come as mourners at the time of death, and they would catch the tears that would fall. Even the Romans did that. There's people to this day that collect tears of mourners and they would bury that tear bottle with the deceased. And they found these tear bottles now through the ages of time where they would collect and gather all of those tears that were bottled up. So here we have a picture of God, not only bottling our tears, but writing our tears in a book. Well, why would God bottle our tears? And why would God record our tears? Well, how can all tears be wiped away if all tears are not present before God? Everything that, it's not only what you're going through right now, everything that you have ever gone through, the pain in your body, the brokenness of your heart, the hard times that you've battled in life, all of the sorrow, all of the pain, God keeps a record of all of it. And one day God's gonna say, my child, I'm not only going to make sure that you're not ever gonna have anything that'll break your heart again. You know those times that you had a broken heart and the devil said that God didn't care and that God wasn't concerned. Look, I've got them all in a bottle. I've got them all in a book and they're all going to be wiped away and God says, I'm gonna make all the wrongs right. God bottles our tears. Boy, it's good to know we serve a God that cares. God not only bottles our tears, but this sounds strange. Job In Job chapter 14 and verse 17, Job said, my transgression is sealed up in a bag and thou sowest mine iniquity. God says, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bottle your tears. And he said, also, I'm gonna put all your sins, your iniquities, your transgressions in a bag. And then I'm gonna seal the bag and then I'm gonna sew the bag. Sealed and sown. Now that sounds strange when you think about it. We know why God would bottle our tears. Why did God bag up our sins? Why would he do that? I've got your interest today, I can tell. It's a joint thing. See, uh, one thing is, is that when they would bring accusation to the judges, These bags were used for different things. One thing was if they had accusations, someone was being accused and they'd go to the judges, the elders of the city, and they would present their case at the gate of the city because, see, they wouldn't let them get in until they were cleared of any wrongdoing. Well, they would put the accusations inside of that bag and then that bag would be sewn up and and sealed. They would put a seal on it. The seal, of course, is the emblem that could only be broken by the one that had sealed it. In that case, it would be the accuser, and then they would take this strip of cloth and sew it across the top of it to say it's it's got a double security on it because it's not only it's not only sealed with that seal, but it's also sewn up, so you can't get into it. You've got have to have the right to get into it. That seal has to be broken, and that cloth has to be cut. It's kind of like now when you go to take medicine, years ago you know, we had people that tampered with over-the-counter medicine. And now when you go to buy medicine, you'll see on that outside, do not purchase if seal has been broken. Because that means somebody could have gotten in that medicine and tampered with that medicine. Well, here God says, I take your sin, and nobody else has the right to know about those, but I'm the one that knows about all of them. But every accusation, that the devil will ever bring about against you when God forgives you, it is now sewn up in a bag and it's not only sewn, but it's sealed. What's it sealed with? It's sealed with the Spirit of God. It's sewn up by the Word of God. And what does He do with it? Well, Micah seven nineteen says, He will turn again, He will have compassion upon us, He will subdue our iniquities, and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea, he said what I'm going to do with your sin, I'm going to put your sin at a safe place that the devil can never get back to them to ever accuse you of them before me. He might accuse you, you might remember it, but God says they're gone, they're forever gone, sealed up in the depths of eternity by the power of the blood and sealed by the Holy Ghost. God bottles our tears. God bags up our sin, but then God also bears our burdens. He cares enough to not only see it, but to do something about it. It's a terrible thing to see things and not be able to do something about it. Am I the only one that is sick to death of all of the opinions and commentaries in this nation. Everybody finds the problems. It's easy to find a problem. Do something about it. It's easy to find the sin of others, but if we just tell them, hey, you're guilty of this and you're without hope, that doesn't do them any good. It doesn't do you any good. You know you're a sinner. You know the things that you wish you wouldn't do that you keep doing. You know the weakness that you have. You know the way you failed God, but you need somebody that can do something about it. God not only sees it, but he can do something about it. When we cast our cares on him, he is able to help us with all of our burdens because he cares for you. Uh, we'll have volunteers in Thursday at outreach and we're we're sending out a Christmas booklet and this year I wrote a special sermon, a Christmas sermon that will be going out. Uh, Lord willing, I have no plans of preaching the sermon. I just felt like I needed to put it in print and send it out. And uh, it'll be going out, uh, Lord willing, on Thursday. And in that though, there was one illustration that I used that I think is really appropriate to what I'm talking about here. A, uh, a grandfather passed by a playpen with his little grandson inside of it. His grandson was crying. He reached up his hands and he says, "Papa, out, 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 well, He did what any grandparent would do. He went over the playpen and he reached down and started to pick him up. And he hears the voice of his daughter saying, you can't get out, son. You're being punished. You're there for time out. You've got to take the punishment. Well, immediately, the grandfather has a problem. He's not the mother and the mother makes the decision for the child. But yet, he's got such love as a grandpa that he wants to get the child out. So he's got the dilemma, love versus law. The law has been set. You're in there for a certain period of time and you can't get out, that's the law. The mother spoke it, she has the authority. That's the law. But his love wants to go beyond the law and get the child out anyway, but then it would make the law of none effect. What does he do? He thinks for a few moments. It's disrespectful to my daughter's authority to go ahead and get him out. But my heart will not allow me to leave the room and not do something. So the grandpa did the strangest thing. He went over to the playpen, grabbed his right leg and pulled it up, put it in the pen, grabbed his left leg and pulled it up, put it in the pen, and laid down in the playpen beside of the grandson. And they laid there and played together until time out was over. You know what he did? He went to where the child was. Do you know what Christmas is all about? The law said, the day thou sittest, thou shalt surely die. And we're all under the curse of the law, but God's love is against the law in the fact that it wasn't the will of the Father that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God could have went on His way and said to humanity, "You're lost forever." But the creation that He made, while we were saying, "Lord, get us out of this sin, get us out of this sorrow, get us out of this pit," instead Jesus looked down and He crawled over the embattlements of heaven and came to where we are. He dwelt among us. The world. Became flesh and dwelt among us, and He died for our sins. He became us so that we can become Him. He didn't come to leave you where you are. So you can't come to me today and say, Well, I want to be saved, but I can't. You're absolutely right. And you never could. Nobody can. We are locked up. We are bound by our sin and our transgressions. But we have a God that cares so much that he gave his only begotten son and a virgin conceived and brought forth a son and they even said, you name him Jesus for he shall save his people from their sin. Christ came to where we are that we can go to where he is. So the decision is yours today. What will you do with Jesus? He's the son of God. He's not a fraud, he's not a fake, he's genuine.